0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Like I said, I'm bummed about having missed Easter. And I had this sermon written on how the resurrection gives us hope for Easter Sunday. Now, I know it's not Easter Sunday, but if you could pretend, for me, I'm going to pretend that it is Easter Sunday. So happy Easter, everybody. And I want to share with you my sermon, my Easter Sunday sermon About hope, because you know what? I think that hope is far and away the most vital, important thing. It's the most needed thing in our world. People need hope. They need hope more than they need water, than they need food. They need hope. People need hope here in this room today. People need to be refreshed in hope. And praise God, we serve a Savior who gives us hope. And I want to show you how the resurrection of Jesus does that today in my message. The date was December 17th, 1927, a submarine with 40 crew members was returning from an exercise off the coast of Cape Cod near Provincetown, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, man. Somebody corrected me after first service about how you pronounce Massachusetts, and it was all in my head there. So anyway, Massachusetts, whatever. <laughs> Cape Cod. There is, so there's a submarine, they've got 40 crew members, And another vessel in the area at the time was a destroyer called the Paulding was in the area at the same time as the submarine with these 40 crew members as it was surfacing. The destroyer apparently didn't see it and slammed right into the side of the sub. And the sub instantly sunk just like a rock to the bottom with all 40 crew members trapped inside. They couldn't get out. So rescuers scrambled to try to get there and to try to get down and to see if they could save these trapped mariners below. One rescue diver was down there going around the, the sunken vessel trying to find a way to get them out, and as he was going around, he heard a tapping sound, and he recognized straight away that the tapping sound was coming from inside the sub, and as he listened carefully, he realized that the, the tapping sound was actually Morse code. The sailors inside were tapping out a message in Morse code, and as he listened, he, he discerned what the message was and he realized that the message was being repeated again and again and again and the message was actually a question the message being tapped out by these sailors inside this sunken sub was a question and here was the question is there any hope that's a question a lot of people have is there any hope we live in a world that's desperate for an answer to that question Is there any hope? There's people who want to know if they have a desirable future, if their situation will ever get better, if there's even a point or a purpose in trying to keep on going. It's the biggest need, I think, in every human heart. People need hope. But is there any? I mean, is there any hope? And if so, where do you find it and how do you get it? That's what our passage, I believe, addresses for us today. The fact that, yes, there is hope, but also where we can find it and how we can get it. And I want you to see it for yourself so you can have hope and be refreshed in hope, not just because me up here saying be hopeful, but because God's word gives us reason. And so the text we're gonna go to is in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. Would you turn there in your Bible, if you got a Bible with you? If you don't, you can just reach out. There's a, uh, you'll see a pew Bible probably not too far away from you. It turned to page 1014. In that pew Bible, you'll find it or power it up on your phone. But I want you to see this for yourself. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. This is written by the Apostle Peter. And he was writing to Christians who, well, they had hope, but they needed to be refreshed in it. You see, these Christians were persecuted poor and under incredible pressure, family pressure, financial pressure, pressure to make decisions in the midst of an impossible situation. You ever been in a situation like that where you've got to make a decision, but it's impossible to know what the right decision is? That's where these people were at. You say, what was their problem? Well, their problem was that because of persecution, they were scattered from their homes. And they were struggling, to many of them, to make ends meet. So they got homesickness, separation, and ongoing financial trouble and pressure. And what's worse is there's no signs of it getting better. So Peter writes to them, he writes in the book of First Peter, reminding them right out of the chute that they have hope in Jesus. And that, that's where he begins. Look at, at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, here it is, a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's Easter. Happy Easter, everyone. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance That is, notice, it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So it's a sure thing. It's it's always going to be there. Kept in heaven for you. So that's the hope. The hope of heaven. And then who, verse 5, who is you, believers, who by God's power, notice, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready, it's ready, to be revealed today, When? No, in the last time. So in the end, it's to come. So you've got a hope, you've got a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that hope, that living hope is of an inheritance that's to come that you can't lose, it's not going to lose its value, it's not going to diminish, it's kept in heaven for you. It's the hope of heaven, and we are being kept for it by not by our power or strength or determination, but by God, by God's power, we're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed At the last time, this is a passage that is absolutely popping, bursting with hope for anyone who would trust in Jesus. I think Peter's main point is simply this the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. The resurrection of Jesus, that first Easter Sunday, gives us hope by rising from the dead. Jesus gives us real, certain, actual hope. Like if you know him, then you have genuine hope, whether you feel it right now or not. If you've got Jesus, you have it. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. Now, if we were to go back to that first Easter weekend 2,000 years ago, when Friday came, that first good Friday, it didn't seem to be anything good about it. Jesus was crucified. He was dead. He was buried. It seemed like, at the time, a hopeless situation, not a hopeful one. In fact, Peter and the other disciples, as far as they were concerned, this was a devastating blow. They were, they were despairing. That, first, that Saturday between Friday and Sunday was like the worst Saturday in history for Christians because these believers, had, they, had, they had loved Jesus. They had trusted Jesus as best they knew how. But they had, they had not understood yet that he was going to rise from the dead, and Good Friday comes, and the the greatest man they ever knew, their teacher, their master, their rabbi, the one they had hoped in, was dead, and imagine, just put yourself there, you don't, you you haven't comprehended yet that Sunday is coming, you're on Saturday, and it seems like the most despairing, hopeless, gut-wrenching, awful situation, You're you're just, your legs are cut out from under you, you are totally despairing. But we know that Good Friday was good. Now, this side of it, and they would come to know this. At the time, they hadn't put this all together yet, but Good Friday was good because what happened there that day is that Christ died for our sins, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.3. Jesus died there for our sins. What was happening on Good Friday, they couldn't see it in the moment, but what was happening is that Jesus was paying the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a hope, that we can have salvation, that we can come to know God. But they hadn't seen that yet. Well, then Sunday came, and Sunday came, and and the first people to go to the tomb uh, to, to visit were some women. They went out there. They were going to go out there, and they were going to cry together, they were going to mourn together, and they were going to go into the ancient tomb. The, this ancient tomb, a rich man's tomb, would have been big enough that you could kind of go in there, and you could view the body, and they would have done things according to their custom to, to care for the, the dead loved one, and they'd grieve together. And as they're going, they're talking together about, how are we going to get in? Because there's a big stone in front of it. How are we going to move that? And they I guess their conclusion was, well, we'll figure it out when we get there. And then when they got there, they met their first surprise, and that was that the tomb was open. The the stone was already rolled away. Well, that's a curious thing. And then they go inside, and they find something else incredibly surprising, if not shocking, that Jesus wasn't in there. And what, what, what do we make of this? They ran, they told John and Peter, the body of Jesus is gone. Somebody's taken it, somebody's taken it. They run to the tomb. They find that the tomb is empty. Jesus isn't in there. What's going on here? This is perplexing. And then the women, the Bible says the women met an angel and the angel said, why are you looking here for the, dead, uh, for the, the living among the dead? And then we know this wonderful story about how Mary, how she was bewildered and crying and confused. She met someone in the garden who knew her name. And when she heard her name, Mary she turned around and <laughs> there he was. He was. Ri- That's why he's not in the tomb because he's not dead anymore. He's alive, He's risen. And Mary saw him and the other women and the disciples and Peter saw Jesus, talked to Jesus, touched Jesus. Jesus, on one occasion, Jesus even made them breakfast. Imagine having a breakfast made by Jesus. There are some men here yesterday who had a men's breakfast. I bet you if Jesus was the cook, I was, I'm sure it was a great breakfast, but it would have been even better. Imagine, right? Jesus shows, he makes a mean breakfast, I'm sure. How do, you, how do you deny the resurrection of Jesus when he just made you a meal and you ate it? He had seen the risen Jesus, talked to him, walked with him, ate food that he made He knew that Jesus had risen, and so he writes to these suffering, struggling Christians who are losing heart and profoundly discouraged, understandably so. And he says, hey, listen, listen, listen. Don't forget this. You've got a living hope. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Dear friend, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. Where there was despair, now there is hope where there was despondency and fear, there's now hopefulness and a resulting courage. And are, we are now people of hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for the resurrection. Three things I want you to understand about this hope. First, it's a hope that points us to the future. The nature of this hope is that in the Bible, it is ultimately about our future salvation. That's what we ultimately mean in the New Testament when we read about hope. That's not to say that hope doesn't have immediate application in our lives. It certainly does, and we'll see that in a few minutes. But the hope of a Christian is ultimately about our future, our ultimate future, our forever future in heaven, where you'll not only just be in heaven with gold streets and mansions, whatever that looks like. The best part of heaven, though, is going to be Jesus, because just like, just like those early disciples saw Jesus, walk with Jesus, touched Jesus, ate food that Jesus made, you will too when you trust him. It's coming. It's coming. But it's future. It's future. See, that's the nature of hope. It's, it's, a, it's a future. When we hope in the Lord, it's a future-oriented faith where we hope in him and trust him that his promises are true. But the resurrection, the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, is, uh, points us to a hope that we have in the future. It's a hope that points ahead to what's to come. Now again, Peter writes to people who are in a dark valley that's getting darker, but he reminds them, hey, listen, listen, there's, there's hope. Things are going to get better For these people, everywhere they turned, behind them, beside them, in front of them, everywhere they turned, there was problems and pressures and struggles and and reason to begin to despair and say, is God even there? Does God even care? Is there any point in keeping on going? And Peter starts his letter saying, yes, 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 there is, there is, because Jesus is risen, You've got a hope that's about your future, and it points us ahead to a time to come. I wonder if you can relate to how these folks were feeling. Maybe you aren't as persecuted as they were, but maybe you look around your life and you see a lot of trouble. Got a lot of problems, a lot of hardships, and, you, and maybe you, you feel uh, tempted to sort of give up and back away and become unfaithful. You look around, you see challenges getting bigger and stronger, and you wonder, will it ever end? Like, will things ever turn? Will it ever get better? Is there any hope? Peter says, yes! Yes, there's hope! I've seen it! I know it! You look to the resurrection, it gives us hope. You see, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be raised too, physically. Actually, you back it up one step and say this, just as Jesus was raised, so we are raised spiritually, like right now. You and I have, if you're in Jesus, if you're trusting in him, there has been a spiritual resurrection that's happened in your life that Peter refers to as being born again. You see that phrase there, born again in verse 3? According to his great mercy, so it's a God thing. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That phrase there, born again, it refers to Jesus, used that term. What it refers to, it's a, it's a supernatural transaction whereby God gives you new spiritual life inside of you. You go from being spiritually dead to being alive. You go from being disinterested in Jesus and defiant toward him to being loving him, treasuring him, hoping in him. It's a God thing. See, the Bible tells us, teaches us that there's, there's two kinds of birth. There's the physical birth that I had at 243 Bellevue Street in Peterborough, Ontario. Now, Bellevue Street is not the address of the hospital. It's the address of my parents' home, the first home they bought. My mom, on one Sunday morning, was just getting ready for church, like a whole lot of you were doing this morning, getting ready for church, and all of a sudden, at eight months pregnant, something happened a month sooner than she thought it would happen, namely, I arrived. And little Roscoe was born right there in the bedroom. The delivery was very fast. We had my family doctor actually live directly across the street from us, and he came over and he delivered me right in my parents' bedroom, right there. 243 Bellevue Street, that was the first kind of birth that I had. And uh, I don't remember it at all, but I know I didn't have kidney stones at the time, so it was a good day. I got a ride in an ambulance to the hospital and uh, my ruin, totally ruined my mom's New Year's Eve plans because I was born on December 31st. But that's another story. It's not the last thing of my mom's that I ruined, I can guarantee you that. Now, you have all had a birth story of some kind. Maybe you were born in your parents' place too, or in a hospital, or wherever. But you've all had a, a physical birth. I know because you're sitting here. But have you had a spiritual birth? See, m- many of you have. And what we talk about a spiritual birth is when you come to Jesus, you are, the Bible says, you are born again. It's called new birth birth. And it's a God thing. It's according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. Now, the picture here is just as Jesus was raised, so we are raised spiritually. That's a reality. That's what Peter talks about in part here. And when we have this new birth, it's a new start with God. And we get a new heart from God. It's a new start in terms of the slate is clean. My sins are forgiven. Praise God praise God. Other people may not forgive you. Other people may remind you of your faults and your follies and your sinfulness, but God has forgiven you in Jesus. We've got a new start and a clean heart, or a new heart, sorry, a a new start and a new heart from God. That is a changed heart made new on the inside. It's a God thing. That's, that's this born-again-ness that we're talking about. Now, now, remember, the point that I'm making is about this future. So there's something that's already happened to your Christian to you in the present, namely you are born again. But there's something else that's going to happen in the future that's also related to the resurrection. That just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so we also will be raised physically. From the dead in a coming day in the future. In the future, at the return of Christ, you will be resurrected. You know, if you haven't died yet, you'll go to be with the Lord. Won't that? that, Wouldn't that be a great plan? Like I'm hoping for that. That's that's what I'm looking forward to as a possibility. But even if even if this body should give way and die, and there's a great chance of that, Jesus says, Because I live, you also will live. Don't get any better than that. It does not get any better than that. You see, it's a hope that points to the future, to a coming day when I will be raised from the dead. You know, the Bible talks about, the New Testament speaks often of believers who have died as people who have fallen asleep. Why, why fallen asleep? Well, because people who fall asleep will wake up again. And you see the picture? You will probably, maybe, happy Sunday, Die, fall asleep, but you will wake up again. You will be raised. It's amazing. That's your future. That's when we talk about this hope that we have in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a future. See, the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that the resurrection hope that we have is a hope that points to the future. Also, second, it's a hope that's based on fact. It's a hope that's based on fact. Do you notice when Peter talks about the resurrection of Jesus? He speaks of it like unflinchingly as factual. Unflinchingly. Notice that verse four, or sorry, verse three. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like, like no explanation, no sidebar notes, no, no apologetics being done here. It's just Jesus arose from the dead. It's just a fact. And because he is risen, because he's risen from the dead, you and I have hope. It's a hope that's based on fact. As sure as he saw Jesus raised, as sure as he walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, he knew that the hope we have in him It's factual, it's real, because it's based on something that actually happened. It's not based on wishful thinking. It's not based on an idea, a concept we wanna think is true. No, the hope that we have is based on something that God has done in history. It's happened. It's a hope that's based on fact. It's because of the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope. Like if Jesus actually did not rise from the dead, I have nothing for you, nothing, nothing. But Jesus did rise from the dead, so I got hope for you. Like, real hope that's based on fact. And if I had more time today, I'd love to spend lots of time talking to you about the many compelling evidences that affirm the factual, actual resurrection of Jesus. We could, we could talk at length today about the, the many, the hundreds of eyewitnesses who, like Peter, saw him, touched him, heard from him, bore witness to him. Paul says on one occasion, Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. I mean, one or two people could say, am I seeing things but a whole crowd of people? Imagine this whole room. No, we were all there. We all saw. Him. We all heard. Just, you know, imagine, did Ross preach on Sunday? Yeah, he was there. How do you know? Well, we saw him. How do, you, how do you know? How do you know? Well, she was here too. In fact, we were all here. Was he here? Yes, he was here. Same thing. They saw Jesus. And, and we can talk lots about that. If we had more time, we could we think about the compelling evidence of the fact that Jesus' own enemies affirmed that the tomb was empty. In fact, the only thing they had to do to shut down Christianity would be to produce the body. Hey, hey look, here's your dead Jesus. Now let's all close up our prayer books and go home. But you know what? They didn't because they couldn't. Because there's no body to be had. He had risen. They could talk at length about the dramatically changed lives. People like Paul. Paul the apostle who was a persecutor of the church Became an apostle of the church. Why? What happened? He saw the risen Jesus. He encountered him and he was converted. And Peter himself, Peter himself went from fearful and fleeing to being willing to die for his faith in Jesus. Why? What, what happened? They saw the risen Jesus. Two things happened. One, they received the Holy Spirit. But two, they saw the risen Jesus. Just, just think about it. The, even amongst these apostles fishermen tradesmen scholars why why would they believe in a risen jesus something we don't fully understand about the ancient world is they didn't view these things a whole lot differently than we do if i said to you today come on down to the cemetery with me this afternoon we're going to see somebody rise up out of their grave you would probably lean over to the person you brought with you to church today and say, our pastor's been on a lot of medication lately. <laughs> just, just don't worry about that. You wouldn't, you'd be like, what? Something, something wrong with you. Because it's crazy. People don't rise up from the dead. They don't. And they will. <laughs> but they don't. It's the same thing for them. There's many, Jew- there many Jews that did believe in a resurrection in the end, but not in the middle of history. So why would these people give their lives for a resurrected Jesus? Because he really was resurrected. And they were compelled. You see what I want you to understand is that your hope, dear brother, or sister, is based on fact. Christianity is not just a set of ideas or concepts or principles, but it is predicated upon things that God has done in Christ. Has done Especially, specifically this morning, as we think about him raising Jesus from the dead. So, when we talk about hope, we're not talking about optimism. I love people who are optimistic. I find optimism refreshing and I like it. But I'm not talking about optimism. I mean, some of you are optimistic about your gardens this year. Think it'd be a good year for your garden or your crops or your plants. And maybe you've got reasons, compelling reasons why you think it will be a good year. But the reality is, you, you don't really know. You're just, you are inclined to want to think that it's going to be a good year. But that's not hope. That's not biblical hope. Hope is a certainty of the promises of God based on what God has done factually, actually in history. In raising Jesus from the dead. When we talk about hope, we're not talking merely about positive thinking. I love positive people. Okay, If you're a positive person, I love you. I I want positive people in my life. I like positive people because, you know why? Because they're positive. And I like that. I I find it appealing. If you're not a positive person, I love you too. But it's harder for me to love you. It It just is. But it's not just positive thinking. We're not just coming along and saying, oh, look on the bright side. Because without the resurrection of Jesus, I would just say there is no bright side. Think of that crew member, the crew members, tapping out that Morse code on the inside of that submarine, asking, is there any hope? Now that diver could have written back and said, of course there's hope. Just keep on believing. But the reality is that all of them died. There was no hope for them on that occasion. They all died. Nobody got out. All 40 of them perished. They couldn't free them. We're not talking about just hold on to hope kind of hope. We're talking about something that's based on fact, what God has done. The hope that we have is a guaranteed, promised, sure thing that is based on something that God has already done. It's a hope that's based on fact. Finally, thirdly, not finally, my sermon's long from over, just so you know, in case you're wondering. Don't sound disappointed. I'm here, remember? You clapped when I said I was alive. Third, third thing about this hope, it's a hope that's ours by faith. It's a hope that's ours by faith. I include this mainly, firstly, because it's in the text. Notice verse five. Who, by God's power, talking about believers, who, that's you, by God's power, are being guarded, notice, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How we get this hope is through faith. I think this is important because for some of us, not for all of us, but for some of us, you you will be wrestling with this and trying to put this together in your mind about, okay, so this Jesus arose from the dead. Okay, I I believe that. I agree with that. I I like that. He arose from the dead. But that was 2,000 years ago in another place. And here I am now in the year 2022 in this place. How does that from back from there intersect with me? Like, how does, how does this rising from the dead get to be me rising from the dead in the future? Like, how does that, that hopefulness from the first Easter Sunday intersect and actually come in connection with me? How do I make it mine so that I have hope, not just people are hopeful? Well, the answer here is faith. Faith is the connecting point. It's what connects us to the, to the Lord Jesus and it's the means by which, it's the channel by which this hope actually becomes ours so that we have hope in Jesus. It's through faith. It's through, it's through believing in him. You see, when we believe on Jesus, when we entrust ourselves to him, God does something that you can't see with your eyes, but it's totally real. He takes you and he joins you to Jesus. It's called, the, it's called union with Christ. God, when, we, when you put your trust in Jesus, you are your soul, you are united to Jesus so that your life is caught up and totally intertwined with his. So that, just as Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, we have died with him. See, how, how did we die with him? I was even born back then. My parents weren't even, my grandparents weren't even born. How did I die with him? Well, it's something God does. Is he takes it and he makes it the a way that only God can. He joins us to Jesus so that Jesus' death 2,000 years ago counts as your death, him paying for your sin. Your sin is put on him, and as he died, you died. But, Easter Sunday, just as you died with Christ, the Bible tells us we've also been what? We've also been what with Christ? We've been raised with Christ. So so we're joined to him in his death, paying for our sins, and, and, and we are raised with him to new life. So we've got new life now, spiritually, and in the future, new physical life, eternal life in heaven with Jesus forever. How do we get that? I want that. You trust Jesus, and when you trust him, that's what joins you to him so his death his resurrection is yours you trust him it's like it's like a toaster bear with me <laughs> you ever had this experience where you take your bread you put it in the toaster you put the thing down and you go off to do whatever else you got to do to get ready for your day and you're you're listening though for the toaster to pop because as soon as that pops, pop, oh, breakfast is ready. You go back to the kitchen. You put whatever you're going to put on it and have your toast. You ever had that experience? You put it down, and you're listening for it. You're going about your business. But as way leads on to way, you begin to be aware of something. You haven't heard the toaster pop yet. And you're like, what? Well, is that going on? Maybe it's set too high. And you scramble back in the kitchen. No, no, no smoke alarm going off. And you go over the toaster, and you look. And the thing's down. The toast is still in there. But then you look. And you're like, ah, I forgot to plug it in. You ever had that experience? Hands if you had that experience. Okay, so you need a new toaster. Because now they have these toasters that is our toaster. It's a fancy little white toaster. And it costs like 40 bucks, but it's got this cool mechanism that if it ain't plugged in, the toast won't go down. I love that invention because it saves me from that test of my sanctification early in the morning about toast that's not toasting because it's plugged in. Now, if the toast is down and you have an old toaster and you haven't got the new one yet, if the toast is down and in there, what you need to do is you need to take that plug and you plug it into the receptacle. And once you put that plug into the wall receptacle, something's gonna happen. That baby's gonna fire up, that toast is gonna crisp up, and you're gonna have a good breakfast. But you've got to plug the plug into the wall plug or you got nothing, you got bread, see? Faith is like the plug that goes into the wall connection that brings the thing to life so that you have it. It's the connector. Without it, you don't have it. But when you trust Jesus, you do. So trust Him. Trust Him. Look to Him. Believe on Him. And that's how you get it to be yours. You you can't earn it. You can't talk yourself into it. You've got to receive it from Him by trusting Him to do it. Say, Lord, Save me, do that for me. It's a hope that's ours by faith. Will you trust him? Are you trusting him? Then you have hope. Hope of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. It points us to the future. It's based on fact. It's ours by faith. I want to close today by identifying for you three ways that the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. Three practical, particular ways that the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope, firstly, by giving us new birth now or new life now. You say, why is that significant? Because what it means is, loved ones, it means that you can change. I can change. I can grow in Christ. I do not, I am not trapped in my sin. I'm not defined by my failures. But rather, because of the resurrection of Jesus, I've got a new birth, which means I got a new start with God and a new heart from God, and it means I can change. Change. For some of us, this is so critically important because if we're talking about hope, for some of us, this is the point at which you need it because you despair about you and you're so frustrated about you and you've tried to make changes in your life but they just don't seem to stick. Or you look at patterns of sin in your life. You've got habits you can't break. You've got patterns of thinking. you can't. It's like you can't get free of it. And then it comes to a really tender, personal, awful moment where you begin to ask yourself, what's wrong with me? What, what's wrong with me? And then you come to church and learn about sin. You're like, that's what's wrong with me. I'm euchred. There's was a conference this weekend, and, and the, the speaker made a point. He said, I didn't write it down again, but he said, he said the biggest problem with you is you, right? Was that what he said? The, the The biggest problem with you, you guys were there too, you heard that, right? So he says, the biggest problem with you is you. As soon as he said that, Leanne leans over to me and she says, do you need a pen? (laughs) It's hilarious. Now, (laughs) it struck me funny. I started to laugh. She could see I was picking up my notes and I didn't have a pen. And she was just trying to be helpful. It looks like he wants to write something down. He doesn't have a pen. But it struck me so funny. He's like, the biggest problem with you is you. And your wife says, do you need a pen? (laughs) It's something I should write down. Because I am the biggest problem with me. I can so relate with the cry of C.S. Lewis when he said, Oh, to be free of me. Oh, to be free of me. We can feel pretty hopeless when we look at ourselves, our slowness to change. But when we look to Jesus, we find reason to hope. Because the Bible teaches us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is a power that's at work in every believer, in every believer's life. I'm not making this up. Listen to Ephesians 1, verses 18, 19, and 20. Ephesians 1, 18, and 20. Paul said, I'm praying for you, for the Ephesians, that you will know, listen, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. What kind of power is it? Well, I'll tell you, he says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So think about that. What kind of power is at work that first Easter Sunday, physically, spiritually, to take that Jesus and raise him from the dead? That is great, awesome power, like you and I you and I can only dream of. Awesome power that rose Jesus from the dead. As sure as Jesus arose from the dead, as sure as he is alive, that same power that worked in him is, loved one, dear Christian, it's working in you so that you can change. You can break free. God is is working in you. He can work in you. You are changing, some of you. you got to hear that. You are changing because God is changing you. You can change. You're not helpless in your fight against sin. You're not. God is at work in you with resurrection power, Change you. God made you new on the inside and is working with resurrection power to change you, to sanctify you, to make you more and more like Jesus. You trust him, you yield to him, you submit to him, and you will see resurrection power shaping and transforming your life. That's how the resurrection gives us hope. Giving us new life, new birth now. I can change. I can change. Second, The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope by granting us resurrection in the future. Which means, I will live. I will live. See, our hope, as we said earlier, is based on real, actual, historical work from God. Where Jesus was raised from the dead. And as surely as he lives, you too will live. Even though you die. It's a pretty humbling thing when you consider our own weakness and frailty. Some days we can feel real good and strong, but isn't it it's a pretty humbling thing. I've been going through a little bit of this myself, like when things happen to your body that are totally out of your control. And on more than one occasion in the last 2 months I've been totally incapacitated. Nothing I can do. I can't there's no relief, there's no I- I'm not even doing anything. I'm just I'm just breathing and living and I'm just overcome with pain. And lots of you know what that's like. Many of you, maybe even now in your life, are coming to terms with your own physical fallen weakness. You got no, your body is doing things that you've got no control over, like aging. You can't stop it. You can't change it. And when we come into that place, it can be, it can be very despairing and disheartening. But when we look to the resurrected Jesus, we remember that we are granted resurrection in the future. So that even though this frail body will die, it won't stay dead. And I'll be raised to newness of life. And also, too, I believe with full conviction there are no kidney stones in heaven. And whatever ailment you're dealing with right now, that won't be there either. I will live, you will live. When I do funerals for Christians, I often, not always, but often, we'll talk about, in talking about this resurrection, hope will stop and say, listen, I'm not telling you this to make you feel better. I'm telling you this because it's true. <laughs> and the truth of it, if you're in Christ, will make you feel better. Because it gives you hope. I will live. And notice, too, it's God who holds us. Notice that again, verse 5 who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed the last time. It's God who's holding you. I will live. I will live, not because of me, but because of God. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope that it gives us new birth now, granting us resurrection in the future. And thirdly, finally, guaranteeing us that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Things will be better. Things may look pretty bad right now in your life, in your circumstance. There's a lot of things, generally speaking, we could look to and point to, we could all agree are bad. Lots of things not looking good, no sign of lots of things getting better. But when we look at the resurrected Jesus, we are reminded and we are encouraged that indeed things will be better in a coming day. When he returns and we're with him. You got troubles today, you got challenges that's part of what Jesus said we could anticipate. Remember what he said? He said, in this world, everybody will like you and affirm you. No, wait a minute. No, that's not what he said. He said, in this world, you'll have all the money you could ever No, I didn't say that either. What was he said? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what he said. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. That's what he said. And that's what he did. I want to put up a couple of verses on the screen here for you. Think about this world that we live in in heartbreak and sorrow. Look us Revelation 21, 4. Looking to the end, to the day when we will be raised, just as Jesus was raised, we too will be raised. Revelation 21, 4. Look at that verse. He, the Lord, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You got tears in your eyes today? He will wipe away every tear. What a beautiful picture. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. No more crying. Shh, 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 shh. No more crying. You're home now. And notice, and death shall be no more. I wanted that highlighted like that. And death shall be no more. It's over. Death, death is dead in Jesus. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, things will be better. They will be. How about 1 Corinthians 15, 22? I love this. It says, it says, For as an Adam, all die. For as an Adam, all die. So happy Sunday. If you're a descendant of Adam, you die. Okay? I mean, if you didn't know this already, if you're new to the Bible, just understand that Adam is the first, first person right, that God ever made. We're all descendants of Adam, all of us. So just put that together. It means it's you. As an Adam, all die. But so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, who's in Christ? Those who believe on him. And what does it say if I'm in Christ? I shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. So the first fruits is the first part of the crop. But they call it first fruits because there's more to come. There's seconds and thirds and so on. There's, There's more to come. So Jesus is raised first, there's an order. Jesus is raised first and then you and me. Here's the good news. Jesus is already raised. So who's next? Who's next, dear Christian? Who's next? You, me, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Things will get better. Things will get much, much better. Take heart, take hope. May 21st, 2008. Well-known, loved Christian recording artist, Stephen Curtis Chapman. At his home, his property, a large country property, his little girl, five-year-old Maria, was out playing in the yard on the swing set, and she looked down the lane, the long lane that led up to the house, and she saw her big brother turning into the driveway, driving the family SUV. He turned in the driveway and began coming up the road at a normal speed, but little Maria was so excited to see her big brother coming, because when big brother comes, he'll push me on the swings. And she did what you can imagine some little ones will do when they see someone they love coming. She got down off the swing and she ran out to meet him. But she ran right out into the lane in front of the vehicle and, and Big Brother did not see her. And he ran over her with the family vehicle. And she died. Horrific, heartbreaking tragedy. Obviously, the grief was immense and intense. But Stephen Curtis Chapman did what many artists, songwriters do in processing grief is that he wrote songs. In fact, he wrote a full album of songs that are all songs of lament and crying out to God from his place of grief and sorrow at losing his daughter. The last song on that album, though, is a song called Spring is Coming. And I want to read to you the words, these words of incredible hope that we're talking about this morning. Listen to what he wrote. He said, we planted the seed while the tears of our grief soaked the ground. The seed is his little girl. We buried her. We planted the seed while the tears of our grief soaked the ground. The sky lost its sun and the world lost its leaves to lifeless brown. Now the chill in the wind has turned the earth hard as stone. And silent the seed lies beneath ice and snow. And my heart's heavy now. But I'm not letting go of this hope I have that tells me spring is coming. Spring is coming. And all we've been hoping and longing for soon will appear. Spring is coming. Spring is coming. It won't be long now. It's just about here. What's he talking about? Resurrection. That just as Jesus arose from the dead to life evermore, so his little girl, who at a young age put her trust in Jesus, she will be raised from the dead to life forevermore. And the hope that we have is that things will be better loved ones because we know in Christ, spring is coming. Now my dear friend, I want to invite you, I want to plead with you to put your hope in Jesus. The reality is, is that there's, there's going to come a point here where you are going to need to decide to trust in Jesus, to step out and to bank your hope on him. And I want to plead with you and encourage you and invite you to do that today. To say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. You are the one who's conquered the grave. You have risen from the dead. And I am looking to you today with my trust. I'm giving you today my confidence. You might be reluctant. You might be investigating. You might be thinking through these things. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to interrupt that. But I do want to point out there will come a point in which you will need to step forward and trust him. And I'm just asking you, inviting you to do that today, to trust him. And dear Christian, to keep trusting him. Where else are you going to go? You got a better story? You got something else that's going to give you more hope than the resurrection from the dead? Life in heaven with Jesus? No. Hold on to hope, keep trusting in Jesus, be refreshed in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and be renewed in hope as you look to Him. And loved ones, let us as a church, let's be ambassadors of hope. Let's be ambassadors of hope. In fact, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just change our name to hope? And go out into this world and be ambassadors of it. And let's why don't we raise our families on hope? Call ourselves hope and let's raise our families on hope. Why don't we do ministry together in hope? Why don't we, let's do small group in hope. Let's do Sunday worship in hope. Let's do missions in hope. Why don't we just go all in and hoping in the Lord and being people of hope? Who's with me? Let's just change the name and let's just do that. Who's with me? All right. So I'm going to pray and Alec and his team are going to come and lead us in a song that I think is a great response to the hope that we have in Jesus, where we will worship Jesus. we sing a song that's called "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." We're gonna sing that together in response. The Father in heaven, we look to you and to your Son, the Lord Jesus. And in looking to you, Lord, we, we ask you today that you would grant us faith, that you would grant us peace as we trust in Jesus. I think of those who are... Just on the verge, coming to the point of maybe trusting in you, Lord, that you would grant repentance and faith today to trust you, to receive you, and to lay hold of this hope. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are not just called Hope Bible Church, but that we would be people who are filled with hope, abounding in hope. And Lord, that many, 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 many in Niagara region and beyond would find hope in Jesus Christ through your gracious working here and through our brothers and sisters who we partner with and serve with. Lord, we long we long to be more and more useful to you as we, as we carry on in hope in you. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.